we really need in a sea of churches? Another church? I don't think so. I think what we need is a movement of God. Brace for impact. Good morning, Impactors. It was a sweet, sweet time of worship, and now I'm going to ask you to shift gears and kind of make a dramatic shift and really, really engage with me if you can. In fact, if you came here today kicking and screaming, and you sort of have, if not physically, your arms crossed and you're ready to not listen or whatever, then maybe the, the arms of your heart are crossed and inside your... You won't get anything out of today's message if that's the case. I encourage you to lean in and listen because... This could be a transforming message, one message that could make all the difference in your life if you really engage. All right, I've got a theory. You help me out here. Everyone prefers joy over depression. Am I right? All right, because I've got a few more, so I'm on a roll right now. Comfort over pain. Everybody there? There may be some weird folks out in, in Frisco, you know, who like pain over comfort, but that's a different, different thing. How about praise over condemnation? Okay, good. That's a little bit of a uh, lack of enthusiasm. There's some of you like, I, I like when people condemn me. I like when they put me down. I like, <laughs> let, let's give it a few more here. Health versus sickness? All right. Some, that was a popular one. How about that? Popularity versus being hated by everyone. Okay, good. Influence over disregard, making an impact over not, being saved versus being lost, Pleasing God versus angering Him. Hearing the words from heaven one day from Jesus' lips, well done versus depart from me. I never knew you. Everybody kind of want to be on the happy side of that list? All right, because I'm hearing about four of you. Who wants to be on the other side of that list? Who doesn't care? Who's disengaged? You guys are like, I know this trick. I've been, you know what, I've been with Pastor Rob for a long time. He sets you up and then takes you out at the knees with these questions. I'm not going to do that today. These are serious. We need to uh, literally set our lives on a trajectory for what I'm about to talk about. The life that Jesus came to bring. It's found in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 10, 10. Jesus came to bring life, not just existence, not breathing in air and exhaling out, not that, but abundant life, overflowing, the, the kind of life that has joy. But if you want that, it's just not automatic. It's not automatic. And, and you guys, albeit not that enthusiastically, but you said you want that. In short, Jesus comes and he finds us in our reckless state and he, and he reaches out and he, he provides the way of salvation, his own blood shed on the cross on our behalf. And if we put our trust in him, then we're saved. But he doesn't leave us in that reckless, you know, condition he found us. He doesn't leave us here. He, he has a place to take us that I call there. And we're going to define this nebulous there this morning together. And if you want to be on the positive side of that list, and you're sitting there going, I'm 50, 60 years old. I don't, do I have any time left? Yes, it's not too late. Let's do one experiment. It may be too late for some of you. And based on the lack of enthusiasm I've seen so far, I have to do this. Take your two fingers, these two right here, and put them right here, the side of your Adam's apple right there. Do you feel anything? Maybe three of you? Because I'm not convinced. If you don't feel anything, which I'm convinced some of you don't, then you're a zombie. You are one of the walking dead. But if you do feel a pulse there, there's time. There's time for you to get from here to there. It's not too late. How many of you, by show of hands, please raise your hand, would like to be closer to God than ever before the rest of this year? Three or four months left. That's surprisingly not everyone. I'm not going to ask if some people don't want to be close at all, but it's almost everyone. I'm glad about that. Watch this. If you don't seek God, if you don't purposely move in, you purposely, purposely engage him, it's not going to happen. In fact, you will end up making decisions that, that basically are foolish, doing foolish things, doing things that are off course, doing things that are not even what you were shaped and molded to do. And you're going to get there and you go, how did I arrive here? This isn't what I wanted for my life. I want to change that this morning. So it's going to be a lot of hand raising, looking for a lot of participation. And I want to start with the... Uh, with a group that I think is being the most stubborn this morning. Married folks, raise your hand. Where are you? A lot of married folks. Is that what you're miserable about? Is that it? Just being married? Well, let me ask you this. How many, would you take this offer if I 
could be the wizard behind the curtain. Would you take this offer? What if I promised you it could be the best year of your marriage ever, ever, ever? How many of you would be interested in that? Raise your hand, married people. Yeah, it happened in the first service too. It was like two-thirds of the hands. So more married people were raising their hands, just acknowledging that they're married, and about a third of them said, yeah, I don't want it to be the best year. So you're shooting for the worst, right? Hopefully, no, here's what might have happened. Some of you might be going, yeah, well, I fought with her on the way here, and I don't want I don't, I'm not too happy right now. I fought with him. Can you put that aside for just five seconds? Because if it was the best year starting right now of your marriage ever, wouldn't matter if you fought. That's not part of a great year, right? Some of you go, well, I'm not even sure if I want to be with him anymore. Well, today, put that aside. Today, if it was the best year of your marriage ever, that'd go away, right? I don't know if I love her anymore. Well, got to put that aside because if it was the best year of your marriage ever, better than your dating, better than your honeymoon, then obviously you'd know if you love her. You'd know if you love him anymore. Okay, so part of this is putting aside all our grumbling and moaning and complaining and imagining the best year ever for a lot of things. The married thing, maybe that's a little bit tough. So let me, uh, let me try this. How about getting out of debt? How many of you would like to have your house paid off, no bills, and get completely out of debt this year? Yeah, a lot of you like that. Some of you are going, I don't want that. I hope I get more debt. I mean, I want, you know, I don't get enough phone calls. I'm lonely. I want more bill collectors to call me. That's what I want. I doubt it. I, I think you want to go out of debt and be able to do things. By the way, this one comes with a caveat. If you're... If we're going to connect with God and seeing some of these things begin to happen in our lives, let's take the example of getting out of debt. He wouldn't make you financially independent or get you out of debt or help you in that way so you could use it selfishly or on your... He, he does this with believers so that they can make an impact on his kingdom for his glory and honor. If you don't see that, it's going to be hard to connect you this morning. How many of you would like to get in the greatest physical shape of your life so that you can actually... It, wait, some of you jumped right on that, man, Wow. The pool parties, would you agree, are almost over. It's September. So we might have to bump this one to two years later. But so that you could actually go to that pool party that you're invited to, you could actually show up and wear a bathing suit and swim. And the Velcro guys would fit together, you know, on those board shorts. How many of you would like to get in the best shape of your life physically? Okay, so there's a lot of people. Not everyone. I'm kind of surprised. Kind of, kind of a higher percentage uh, in the first service. Some of you are going, I don't want to get in the best shape. I want to get in the worst. I want to keep packing on the pounds. I'm going to start smoking. I don't smoke now, but I'm going to smoke now because I want to be out of breath when I walk just to my car. I, I don't see that. In fact, I asked this about, I asked this earlier on about people, how many of you want to make it the best year of your life? And almost everybody agreed. This was in the launch team six, seven months ago. In fact, I said it like this. I guarantee that it'll be the best year of your life. Do you remember this? If it's the best year of your life spiritually. Remember that? I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. Here's what I want you to do. Get your notes out. While you're getting your notes out, that, that note, the note cards that you were given, let me, let me say this. Uh, let's take one of them, just getting in the best shape of your life. That's not going to happen if you sit home and watch people who are in shape on ESPN play sports while you're eating chips and queso sauce and ordering a whole pizza for you by yourself and eating buffalo wings and chasing it down with a six-pack of beer and waiting for the actual six-pack to appear on your... It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And you go, but that's what I want. That, I really want to get from here to there. Yeah, but just wanting it isn't going to do it. Are you on the right path? Because queso and buffalo wings and pizza and beer and all that seems like you're going in the other direction. So sometimes what we say we want, we don't realize we're not even close to the right path. So here's what I want you to first put in your notes. Ready? Everyone ends up somewhere, but not everyone ends up somewhere on purpose. Now, maybe you don't agree with that, but you will in about 10 minutes. Let me give you an example. My son Nathan, he was in the first service, and, I, and he said I could share this, but he was about 10 years old. I think that's like fourth grade. He was at uh, United Faith Christian. He's at a Christian school, and the, uh, the whole class went outside. I think they were doing a science project or something, and they went to go back in. They're all standing outside their classroom, and the teacher wasn't showing up, so they're milling around there for like five minutes, and Nathan thought he would play the hero, and so he got a paper clip, and he started trying to pick the lock to get in the locked classroom, so they all could be waiting there and sitting there when the teacher got back. Isn't that wonderful of him? But when he was picking the lock, the paper clip got jammed in there, and so when the teacher finally came back, like 10 minutes later, she put the key in there, and that stuck in there, and so they ended up having to come and take the door apart to get the class back in there, so Nathan ended up in the principal's office. Now, I can tell you, here's the principal. Everyone ends up somewhere, but Nathan did not end up in the principal's office on purpose. I promise you that. 
He ended up there because he didn't really think about what he was doing. Everybody ends up somewhere in life, but not everybody ends up somewhere on purpose. Here we are, three quarters of the year already behind us, and I had said, I think it was around January, if you want this to be the best year of your life, I guarantee it will be. If it's the best year of your life, spiritually. And I wonder how many people latched onto that and then just said, well, how do I make it the best year of my life spiritually? Because I believe what Pastor Rob said, but that means I got I to gotta move in. I got to engage God more. That means I got to spend more time with Him. So I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to read the Word every day. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to be in, in a 24-7 conversation with God. And, and how many of you latched onto that and then you saw that affect your life spiritually and now you're looking at all areas of your life affected and it's turning out to be a pretty good year? And I wonder how many of you just thought, that'd be great. So I'm going to memorize that saying. It's going to be the best year of my life. It's the best year spiritually. It's going to be the best. I'm saying, I'm, I'm positive. I said it out loud for all those negative forces. That, but you did nothing. You did nothing to actually set yourself on the trajectory to make yourself closer spiritually to the Lord. So you're not experiencing the best year of your life. It may be even worse than last year which is probably mediocre in the year before, and you're going, but I heard that and I believed it. But you made no adjustments. There's a verse, the beginning of your notes right there, Proverbs 29, 18. Let me read it for you. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. That Hebrew word for perish actually means, it doesn't mean they drop over dead. It means they languish. It means they, they drift, sort of like drifting at sea. Or they give up and throw off restraint and they run wild. It means all those things. In other words, there's no, where there's no aim, people, are, people live aimlessly. I made that up this morning. That's why I didn't say it right. So let me say it again. Where there's no aim, people live aimlessly. Isn't that true? Where there's no aim in your life, no focus in your life, you're just going to live aimlessly, recklessly. Now, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, Craig Grishel, he wrote this book, and the name of it is the Hebrew word for vision in this verse, where there is no vision. You know what that word is? It's chauzon, and you need to know it. You need to know it for your life. So I want us to say it together and say it the Hebrew way, which will require you to gather some spit. So take a few moments to get that ready. You got it? Now lean forward. Aim it at the back of the head of the person in front of you and say it with me on three. One, two, three. Chauzon. That was pathetic. Not in your mind. Say it out loud. One, two, three. Chauzon. Now apologize to that person because they didn't come here for you to spit on them. And this is, this is true, gang. This is this vision, this, this direction for your life, this dream. In fact, that's in your notes too. A dream, a revelation, a vision. It's not only something you want to get individually, but if a church could get a hold of this, they'd have a great impact. They'd have a great impact for the kingdom of God. In fact, it's worse than that. The opposite, if you don't get a hold of this, you'll just kind of drift. In other words, you'll be lukewarm. And God doesn't like lukewarm. Want me to prove it? Go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Or, or I'll, just, I'll just take you there. How about Revelation chapter 2 and 3 talk about the seven churches. Not seven little churches, but seven churches in big regions like the church in Asia, the church at Laodicea, which is one of the most educated and, and rich and wealthy cities in the ancient world. And the Apostle John wrote letters to them. Well, the one that ticked God off the most was the last one. Chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. You know why? Well, God says why he's mad at it. He said... Because you are neither cold nor hot, but rather you're lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So where a church has no vision or calzone or purpose or passion direction, the church will get lukewarm and spitting and lack of vision and lukewarmness all go together. Not only will God not support you, God doesn't like it. It angers God. It angers God when he makes you a certain way and you just drift through life aimlessly. He made you for a purpose. He made you to make an impact for his kingdom. All right, it's got to hit home, so let me give you different examples. What if there's no vision for debt? We talked about that earlier, right? Talked about that earlier. Well, then you can live in, and we do, the richest country on planet Earth in the richest time in history right now and be in massive, massive debt. You can be completely bankrupt financially. Or catch this, the richest nation on the face of the earth could actually be almost bankrupt. Maybe 
I don't know, it'll take a wild number, 15, 16 trillion dollars in debt. The richest and yet the poorest at the same time because we have no aim or no direction for getting out of debt. In fact, we could live in one of the wealthiest cities, and, and it is. Charlotte's one of the wealthier cities in the country. It's the second biggest banking, mon- second biggest money city in the nation. And yet, and it's a religious city. In fact, we're, we're supposed to all get this, 1,100 churches, Right? Did you know most churches, the, the vast majority of churches in Charlotte right now are struggling badly financially? Do you know that? In the wealthiest country, in one of the wealthiest cities with the most churches, and a lot of them filled up, how is that even possible? When if probably all of those churches, if they just engaged at the minimal level, not the passionate, fired-up level, not the know-where-you're-going level of really outrageously giving, but just where God says, I want you to start. Everything good that you have is mine. Start with 10%. Give it back to me. I will bless that more than you could ever, ever, ever financially make your own money grow, the 90%. I'll bless the 10 better than you could. And so that's the starting point. And if most churches did that, they'd pay off their debt and then make an impact for the kingdom. But most churches aren't even close. The average church, about 20% of people tithe. That's just the debt thing. That's just the tithing thing. We need to get this in all areas, though. So today, it's, let, me, let me put this as simply as I possibly can. Today is about how to get from mediocre to that abundant life. It's how to get from here to there. I don't know how to make it any more simple than that. And to do that, gang, I find that we can't move an inch until we have any idea what there is, right? I want to get there, but I was just checking what is there. Well, there might be something different for me and something different for you. And again, we're going to talk about what there is corporately and individually. But let's try something together that might help to begin with. In your notes there, there's a little scale from 1 to 10. So here's what I'd like you to do. Start this way. Think back to last week, from last Sunday all the way to Saturday or so, okay? Rate it. Just rate it. Circle it. Go ahead, take your pen and and circle it. How was it? Ten being it was best week of your life. Man, unbelievable. One being one of the worst weeks of your life. Just, and if you're struggling, I mean, it could be anything. Maybe, you're, maybe it started out good. You're a Panthers fan. So you're watching the first quarter, and they're up a touchdown, and you're going, this is going to be a good week. I'm about to circle an eight. By the end of the game, you're negative nine, right? Or maybe you are used to it, so you put it two. It's a bad week. I'm, I'm actually hoping we will take this little rating thing a little bit deeper than whether your sports franchise or your college team, your probably one or not. Can we go a little deeper than that? Let's just try. I'm going to take a few moments and let you think about it with some awkward silence. And you circle a number, okay? Can we do that? This means yes. This means I have no intention of doing that. I don't care. Do it. 15 seconds while I take a sip of what, as far as you know, is water. You done? All right, you're done. I have a more important question about that. You got a number there, but he's got a number there. Why did you put that number? I don't want you to say it out loud. Just want you to think, what you base that on? Why did you put that number for the week? If you gave it an eight, and let me help you a little bit. I mean, why did you, what are you basing it on? Whether you had a warm, fuzzy feeling all week, whether you felt depressed all week, what are you basing on? Did you have great, maybe you gave it an eight or a nine because you had great family time. You were together and everybody got along. You're doing that. Maybe you gave it a two or three because last couple weeks you paid for school supplies and all the back to school stuff or college costs and everything. So you're even more depressed debt wise. And you put that, but there's a vast amount of reasons, a vast number of reasons, but you circled a number. What'd you circle? And why did you do it? There's an unbelievably valuable key in figuring out why you did that. So hang with me, because here's the challenge. Most everyone wants to have a great week, month, year, life, right? I don't know anybody that goes, not me, Pastor. Hang on a second. I'm shooting for mediocre. I'm shooting for bad. I hope people don't like me. I hope I'm in debt. I hope I get thrown in jail for something I didn't do. I want to have a miserable life. Nobody wants that. 
But the problem is, how are you going to have a, a great life or a great day or a great week and keep that going or where it's what you'd look back and call a success when we don't know what a success is? Especially spiritually speaking, if you don't know what God would call a success in your life, how are you going to hit it? If you don't know where the bullseye is, they're just going to fire all over the place and basically you have no chance of hitting it. You have no chance of hitting it. Okay, so obviously this is going to need a little bit of clarification. All right? So here's what we're going to do together to clarify this. Two exercises, two more rather, that will help us get from here to there. Number one, and it's in your notes again. First thing we've got to do is we've got to discover what matters most, okay? What matters to you? Because that's probably why you circled the thing you circled. And maybe you don't know. Not just, by the way, what you say matters most. Not, well, uh, uh uh-oh, hey, what matters to you? I got this, I got this, I remember. I think I studied this. Uh, God, uh, uh, family, and my job. And you know how to recite it, but I'm not talking about saying what everybody expects. I'm talking about what really matters to you. Got to identify that. Now, I like how 2 Corinthians 13.8 puts a Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. He said, our responsibility is never to oppose the truth, but to stand for the truth at all times. That's a value that we're supposed to have as Christians. All times, stand for this. How are we doing as a country standing for truth? What do you think? Horribly. Horribly, right? I mean, because we've let it go, because we've kind of said, I don't want to get in fights, you know, I I want everybody to get along. Our universities have even turned into, well, truth is relative, and whatever you think is truth, that's okay, I won't bother you, and and it's a mess, because we didn't really value it. We said we did, but we we really didn't, because if you really do, you, you fight for it. You really grab a hold of it. We didn't. Ever realize, by the way... You ever realize that there's, there, there's values or there's dreams or there's visions or there's things that you're passionate about that others aren't? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, have you ever shared something with somebody or, or saw something and you got, that, that's an incredible cause. Hey, I would love to see all of us do that. Maybe at your church, whatever. Hey, let's get, let's get fired up and let's do that. And everybody else is like, you do that. That's not my thing. And it bothers you? What do, you, what do you mean? How can that not be your thing? I, I mean, I'm so fired up about this. We have to do so. People are different. People have different passions. Some things that fire you up don't fire up other people. Do you ever wonder why you're fired up about that thing? It's, I have some good news. I think God made you that way. I think God wired you that way on purpose. You're made to get fired up about that because he's hoping to use you in that area with your talents and your gifts to make an impact in that area. So you see how important it is to connect to that? If you don't, you drift. You languish. You throw off restraint. You have no purpose. You live aimlessly. So you and I need to take a close look at what we value. Now, I'll help you out. When you look at characters in the Bible, it is so easy to see what they value. Take Samuel, for instance. Samuel lived his life, and it was so important for him to do exactly what God said, to be obedient and to have integrity. In fact, at the end of his life, he stood before the children of Israel and said, have I ever done anything wrong to you? And if I have, I will make it right. And they could come up with nothing. So in his words, his actions, his intentions, his conduct, integrity was important to him. You mentioned Samuel. Most Bible scholars or anybody that even reads the Bible will connect the word integrity with him. How about King David? Raise your hand if you've ever read through the Psalms. Have you ever read through the psalm? But read through there sometime, and you will see a man, mostly David wrote those, and you will, you will hear the words of a man who just wanted to get closer and more intimate with his God. Am I right on that? David just, just loved spending time with God. A lot of us look at that, and we think he's almost a little weird. We can't pray for five minutes. But you think of David, and he loves intimacy. Here's one thing David said that proves it. He said, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and this is Psalm 27.4, that I will seek after you, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to just sit there and talk with him and ask questions of him. And in other words, if he were alive today, he'd say one thing, I, just, I pretty much want to live at church. Some of you going, wow, that's a weird dude, isn't it? I don't know anybody like that. Maybe you don't desire intimacy. Maybe that's not your main thing. Moses, leadership. 
If you read through and all the chapters that mention are about Moses, you'll see a man who, if you, if you want to boil it down, he just wanted to lead his people, God's people, well, didn't he? I want to lead them well. I, 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 I'm not, I don't feel equipped to do this, Lord, but help me to lead them well. As a result, he's a great leader. Abraham, come on, help me out. Abraham, what was his deal? Faith, exactly. Abraham, it was faith. This is a guy who believed God, even though there was no such thing as the Jewish people. He's the father of the Jewish people. And God said, out of you, I will make a great nation. And he's like 90 years old, and his wife's the same age. So it doesn't look likely, but he had faith, and it happened. One time God asked him to sacrifice his own son, and he went all the way through to the end, and God stopped him because he had faith that God was a good God, and it wouldn't happen the way he thought. Incredible faith. You can easily tie the word faith with it. How about more modern day? Billy Graham, what do you think? Evangelism, right? Greg Laurie, evangelism. Yours truly, me, evangelism. This might surprise you. The Apostle Paul, evangelism. Does that one throw you a little bit? I'll bet some of you are sitting there going, no, Paul's not that way. Paul was deep thinking. Paul was the one who taught things that you really have to wrestle with for 30 years to figure out. I'd say discipleship. Actually, let me give you Paul's thing and just one of his many utterances of it. Here's one, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Paul says, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said that over and over again. Basically, what he said is, I, I just give everything up. I wish everybody would. If the world would just bring the simple gospel message, we could leave everything else out. I'm all about evangelism. I'm all about reaching the lost and rescuing them. That was Paul's main thing. Now, he got pretty deep, didn't he? But his heart, his biggest value was evangelism. Now, last week, 15 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Some, hopefully, some of them are here as Lord and Savior. They, they, they were hellbounders. They passed from death unto life by embracing the gift of Jesus on the cross. And they prayed and received him. And, and you hear stories like that. When I tell you that, some of you are immediately, you know, going, I mean, that's great. That's some, because your, your heart is evangelism like mine. You, you thrive on that. Some of you are worried right now because you're going, what are we going to do? What, I mean, how, how are we going to grow them? What's the next step? That's a hint of what you value. You, you value, your, you want to help them in discipleship. It's coming out and, and what you're concerned about and what you're worried about. Some of you are going, I hope they're taken care of because if we don't love on them as a church, then they won't even want to grow or come back or anything. So you're, you're generous and you're hospitable. and you're re So certain things can reveal what is more than the talk, what is actually who you are and what you actually value. The question is this, and it's in your notes. You might want to just fill out one sentence. What do you love deeply? Another time of awkward silence. What do you really love deeply? Not what do you say when somebody asks, because you got a quick answer. What do you actually love deeply? Why don't you jot that down? What do you really love deeply? Take a second or two. And don't spy on your neighbor and go, oh, that's a good answer. I'll write that down. If it's not your answer, it's not a good answer. Can I tell you something? God put that passion within you. And he put you in this place at this time, in the neighborhood, the job, or whatever you're at, to use you with that passion to make an impact for his kingdom. It's that simple. And you won't be happy, you won't be joyful until you're doing what God made you to do. If you're made for a certain thing and you just don't do it, how could you possibly be fulfilled in your life? And I would say most Christians, evangelical Christians in America, are doing that very thing. They're, they're not doing what they're wired to do, and they wonder why they're miserable. You know, here's something I've mentioned the last several weeks. I wonder if everybody's caught it. Boomers, 70, 80% of them will say they're Christians. Busters, 70% at least. I'm a Christian. When you get to this next generation down, when you get all the way down to the generation right now that's about 12, 13 years old on up to 25, 6, 7, 8, 15%. It's the biggest drop off a spiritual cliff our nation has ever seen. How'd that happen? I have a theory that's not a very pretty one. Could it be that as they grow up and they're looking at the boomers and the busters who talk about Christianity and values, that they're seeing a disconnect? And they're saying, this isn't real. This isn't what you love. It's just what you talk about. But you don't live it, so I don't want it. And then you look at us and you say, you know, what's the vision of this church? What will make a difference? Have you looked on the stage when we sing praise and worship? 
90% of them are millennials. <gasps> You're going after the millennials? Yeah, unapologetically. Because if we don't as a church, guess what? In 10 or 20 years, we're dead. We die as a church. We can't just gather here and do what's wonderful for us four and no more. By the way, if we reach your kids, bet you're going to be joyful, huh? Versus losing your kids, right? The kids that go to church growing up, middle school and high school and all, about 60% of them are going to stop going to church once they break out of the house and go to college. And half of those will never come back. Is that what you want for your kids? I'm going to say probably not, right? You want them to cling on to God. You want them to love them more when they're on their own. You want them to stand on their own. You want them to make the impact they were wired for, that they were called to make. So, what do you love deeply? Here's the second thing. What makes you righteously angry? All right, that's important. So it's what do you love deeply, and the other one is what makes you righteously angry. And we'll start honing in on this, okay? Now, by the way, I said righteously angry, not what makes you mad, what's your pet peeve, not what makes you unrighteously angry, all right? Here's something that makes me mad. People that go under 55 on 84. Is anybody with me on that? Raise your hand if you ever drive on 84. Speed limit is 55. You need to know that. It is not 45. It's not 35. It's not a special highway for the Amish. It's 55. And so this is why I am glad that I, and I've shared this with you before. It remains a pet peeve. I've said this a while back. I need to shake this thing. But it's when I will drive on there and somebody's going maybe 30 and it's 55. When I find those broken lines, I will take my forerunner, you know, if I'm driving that. Because I like to drive that on 84 because it's got a window that rolls down in the back. So I can be Pastor Rob with the impact sticker, unless I'm passing someone. Then I can roll it down and hide the sticker and pass them, right? And so, not, it's not what you wanted to hear, right? But, gang, you can legally pass somebody on 84. They can be on 30, and you can pass them at 40, and they look at you like, you criminal. You should not. You're the criminal for driving 30. Am I off track a little bit on the message? That's not righteous anger, is it? That's just a pet peeve. That just makes me mad. I am going to pray that if you are a believer and you drive below the speed limit on 84, that you at least lose a crown in heaven or something. But it's what makes you righteously angry. Is there such a thing? Well, if there isn't such a thing, then we have a problem with Jesus because he got really mad at times. In fact, he, he basically cleared the room of people one-handed, the temple, twice. Some of you read that and you think, I read one in there. No, it's two different events. Twice he came into Jerusalem and saw the temple had turned into some kind of flea market. And the first time he just went nuts and was turning over the tables and throwing them out and said, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer. It's not a flea market. Get out. Second time he's even more angry, but he was more purposeful about it. He sat down and made a whip. He fashioned a whip. And when he was done with the whip, looked like he calmed down. He got up with a whip and drove him out with a whip. This is the son of God. So is there a righteous anger? Yes, he was sinless. He never sinned. That's a righteous anger. What makes you righteously angry? Because that's going to reveal a value in you. Some of you are, are, are so tired of and so broken when you hear that, that, that how many unborn children are being killed in this country. That bothers, just tears you up. It makes you angry. You say that shouldn't be. Some of you, and I think I may have said this earlier. I'm, I may be old, but I'm slow. Here it is. Uh, I think I said it in the first service. You maybe didn't know this, but what the average, what, what America spends on, on Christmas is enough to pay for clean drinking water for the rest of the world for a year. What we spend on Christmas presents. And I think, wow, Christmas we're celebrating the coming of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we celebrate by spending money that could help the entire world to have clean drinking water. Dirty drinking water kills more people than anything else. And, but we, we, we spend it on ourselves. And some of you, when you hear that, that makes you angry. That's a, that's a righteous anger. That's your thing. Other, other people, your, your thing is something else. It, it's a righteous anger. Some of you, maybe you're, you're, you're singing the songs this morning and there's, a, there's a, uh, a spelling error in one of the words. And that just ticks you off. I mean, that's a little bit more minor, but you're going, you're, you, know what you're, you know what that's revealing? Actually reveals something. It reveals that you like excellence. I mean, you value excellence. We're doing this for you. You want it to be excellent. So that, that little things like that might bother you. I didn't, I didn't see any spelling errors this morning. But if you did, that, do you see how these things that kind of work you up reveal something about you? 
what you love or what makes you righteously angry? What is it that when you see it, your heart breaks on the behalf of the heart of God? Again, corporately, our whole church, what are we going to stand for? And you individually. As a church, gang, here's just a couple things. We don't have time for everything. But as a church, we will always go after the lost. We will always worship God with all we've got. We will always generously give. We will always gather corporately and baptize one another, identify with Christ, and disciple the believer because we value those things. We have five Gs to describe those. You saw them on signs. You see them on bookmarks. They are glorify, go, give, gather, grow. Those are, those are our purposes as a church. We're always going to move those forward. So we got to get this. You have to. If we're going to move into the, the next series and, and move forward and actually make an impact as a church, not just be another church, but make an impact. So we're going to pause again. I want you to write down one word values that as you think about what you love and what makes you righteously angry, they come to mind. I'm going to give you some more awkward silence. Just do this real quick. Between four and seven. It's kind of a random number, but I think if it's one or two, you're not trying hard enough. And if, it's, if you're coming up with more than seven, we don't have all day. Okay, so between four and seven, right? Mercy, compassion, generosity, write them down. Think about it for just a moment. Write them down. And you can keep writing them down as we close out. Because here's what will begin to happen. As you identify what really matters to you and what makes you angry, remember I said we were going to identify the there? God, help us move from here to there. It'll help you identify the there. The fog will be lifted. As you understand what this church values and what you value, all of a sudden the vision is clear and the passion becomes clear. I still don't think we have it, so I'll give you a couple more examples. You may value time with your kids so much that you want to be with them all the time. So you and your husband, your husband and your wife, whatever, you make a deal that instead of both of you working, one of you is going to work, one of you is going to stay home, you're going to be with the kids, you're going to, you're going to downsize, you're going to drive one car and share it, you're going to make adjustments so you can spend more time with your kids. That's it. You value that. Maybe some of you go, you know what, I, I love the vision. I want to see God's kingdom advanced. I wish I could do more. That just drives me. Maybe you both work. And maybe you give outrageously. Maybe you really want to see if it's true. You can't outgive God. And so you, you, you raise money and you give it, and you're not just going to give 10%. You're going to give 15 or 20 See, here's what happens. Your values drive your decisions. Didn't you just see it? Your values drive your decisions. All right, so the only caution I have about writing those down is, don't just write them. This is hard, I know. Easy to say. Don't just write them. Live them. Don't just write them down. Live them. Because there's a, I was going to say a world of difference. Forget that. There's a universe of difference between claimed values and practiced values. Isn't that true? Especially in America, there's such a big difference between what we yap about and what we really care about. So I want you to really live these out, not just write them down. Let me give you an example, too, because some of you might have just heard me say that. Go, I don't think there's a big difference. I think people are pretty honest. Let me show you how they're not. Even the best of people. Let's take Peter. He gets picked on a lot, so let's keep the ball rolling. Peter would have, I guarantee you, that Peter would have claimed a year and a half into his three-year stint or so, two-and-a-half-year stint with Jesus, following around 24-7, would have said many times to Jesus, I'm loyal. You can count on me. I got your back. In fact, I'll bet a lot of times, I know a lot of times, he said, these other 11 right here, can I just tell you something? Jesus, they're pretty wimpy. I don't even know why you picked them. Me, I can understand. Remember when you were walking on water and they thought it was a ghost and so started crying and everything? I might have sunk, but I got out of the boat, didn't I? I got your back. And if anybody comes to get you, Jesus, I will be there. In fact, I bought a sword. I'm learning how to use it and everything. I will defend you. I got your back. But what happened in the night Jesus was betrayed and on trial right before he's crucified? What happened to loyal Peter? He denied him, swearing, cursing, scared of a little 12-year-old girl who said, I think I know you. So at that point in Peter's life, it would seem that there was a world of difference between what he claimed and what he lived out, right? And the thing is to close that gap. 
if you want an abundant life, then what you say and what you do need to come together in integrity and be the same thing. I like the way Ezekiel 33, 31 puts it. It's just true. My people listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. Isn't that true? We love to listen to words. We love to go to church and take notes. We love to say, man, that was an incredible sermon. There was a Greek word I never knew, and he dissected. I never knew that about God. I never knew that angle. I never knew that about the fishing nets the other week I was talking about that. I never knew about, you know, the fish being in the northern part of, of Galilee because there's hot springs up there and they're not in the south where you think it's warmer. That's an interesting fact. I wrote that down. That's cool. It doesn't change your life, does it? So we think we take notes and we learn facts about Jesus, but it doesn't change our heart. It doesn't change our direction or our trajectory here. I'll give you me as an example. Not a good one right now. I used to think I was generous when I met my wife, Michelle, who I'm convinced, and she's taken spiritual gifts, gifts test, that has the spiritual gift of generosity. And I, some of you have been with me for a while, and you've heard me say this. It's true. We went on our honeymoon. You know, I was pretty proud of myself that we'd go to church, and I would give, we'd give 10%. I thought, man, that's, that's really pretty sacrificial. We're walking on the beach, second day of being married, and third day of being married, walking along the beach on our honeymoon, and she looks at him and she goes, here's a dream that I've always had. I dreamt that I marry a godly man that together we would start at 10%, of course, that we would try to outgive God, that we would raise it a percent every year we're married. Let's do that. And I'll still, I'm not proud of my answer, but I said, let's not. I mean, let's not do that. That scared me to death. I thought I was generous, but I thought, who would do that? That's just reckless. That's crazy. But then a decade went by, and 15 years went by, and we were doing that, and sometimes 30% or more, and God never hung us out to dry. In fact, she taught me the value of giving generously and not just talking about it. So here's the good news about Peter, or here's the good news about you if you go, wow, so a lot of things I do talk about, they're not real. Peter changed, didn't he? I mean, Peter was on fire. After Jesus came to him after the resurrection and told him he loved him three times, they said, now get back out there. Get back in the game, Peter. I want to use you. Okay, you might have denied me. You might have thought you were loyal, but you weren't. But now the gap has been closed. Through the fire, you're going to learn how to put your words and your action together. And that's what has to happen corporately and individually for us to make a tremendous impact as a church. I love the way, again, I'm using Craig Rochelle because I was looking at his book again, Calzone. <laughs> And he says this, and it's in your notes, fill it in. The distance between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain you experience. The distance between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain you experience. It's true, isn't it? Okay, so that's the first thing that we have. The second thing is discover your mission. Discover your, what matters most and then discover your mission. In one sentence, we all need to be able to say, this is what my life is all about. In Genesis, here's a cool one. Abraham's servant is talking to him, and you see the mission mindset clearly. Abraham's servant said, I don't want to eat until I have told you what I, why I have come. All right, Laban said, tell us your mission. I hope you didn't miss that. Tell us your mission. He didn't want to do anything until he made it real clear, the mission that he was real clear about. Hey, if you invited me over for dinner and I sat across your table and I asked you, what's your mission? What's your life all about? Could you answer? And instead of dinner, let's say that I was assigned to be a covert spy, like 24, and I just followed you around for a month or so and I watched you. Would it match what you said? Oh, I know what my mission is. My mission is this. And I look at you and go, I can't tell. We need to close the gap. And I've been a pastor or in some kind of ministry for over 20 years. And sometimes people I led, I've, I've kind of asked them this question, you know, of what matters most. And I'm going to give you their answer in just a moment because it wasn't always encouraging. But what's your answer? What matters most? What's your vision? What's your mission? Is it something kind of selfish and shallow, or is it something that God put in your heart? Hold that. Look what Paul said about his mission. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may complete the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. There it is again. 
If I, don't, if I don't look back on my life and know that I gave the gospel out at every turn, then my life's a waste. Another way to say that is I would consider my life a failure unless I blank, fill it in. Paul was about telling others about the gospel. What, what about Jesus? It amazes me that scholars today, st- theologians today, still argue, what was exactly the purpose of Jesus coming? There's these five things. What's more important? Do we know why he came? I think, are you a doofus? Here it is right here. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to, now when you see that, came, he, the reason I came was, you know the answer's coming, so here it is. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's his mission. It was a rescue mission, and he was clear about it, and he was focused. That's why nothing could stand in his way. That means popularity didn't stand in his way. When he had crowds of twenty or 30,000 assembled and they wanted to make him king, he said, that's off mission, that's not why I came. When people were trying to kill him, he said, I'm going to get to the cross. It'll happen in its time. That's my mission. When Peter stood in front, when he said, I'm going to go die, and he said, may it never be, he said, get out of my way. Get behind me, Satan. You'll not get me off mission. That's his mission. And when you know your mission, you can start lining things up to hit that. That was the calzone of Jesus, the Son of God, his vision, his mission. What my mission is? As a pastor, I want to connect people with Jesus and help them live a life of great impact for God. Three years ago, I came up with the name of this church. We're only three weeks old. Yeah, but three years ago, I came up with that. I went away for a summer, for about a month, and I said, God, how can we... And I, and I was in another church, pastoring another church, but, and it was large, but I didn't feel like we were making the impact that we could have. I said, God, how... Give me something. Give me a mission worth dying for, worth, more importantly than that, worth living for. Something that, that's so amazing that when, when I stop and think about it, I, I can't find any logical way I could have done it or the people could have done it. We just have to look and say that's a God thing. And I, and, and I felt like we needed to make a mark with our lives that the people in our life walk away changed, branded with the love of Christ. First here, then in our community and, and even in our whole co- culture and the world, a legacy, basically. And I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't want the name of the church to be some fluffy little stream or something. I want it to be reminding us every day of what God called us to do. So it's impact. So every time I hear the word impact, and by the way, that's a word that seems to be used a lot in our culture. I always think of my mission. Every time I see one of your cars go by and I see the decal, it's not just one of the many church decals there. I'm reminded that that's an impactor. We're called to make an impact for Christ. I want even our name to keep it in front of you all the time. We're not called to just assemble and sing songs and hear some neat Greek words to find and go home. We're called to make an impact. So write your one-sentence mission statement. And then let me end with this. You got all that now. Let me say, all obstacles are removed now in your life. If money was no object, because that seems to be the great obstacle of everybody, if I could wave a magic wand and money was no obstacle in your life, what would you do with your life? At different stages of my life, I said I get back to this as a pastor, I've heard different answers. I have worked with people and, and led people who said this. I'm going to give you a couple answers I saw. Leaders in the church... If you could, if money was no object, you could do anything with your life, what would you do? Here's one answer. I would hike the Appalachian Trail. Okay. That was not a sin or anything. That's great. Here's another one. I would definitely get a house at the beach because I love spending time at the beach. Okay. All right. They're not sins. Th- those answers aren't sinful at all, but not what I expected from leaders. I sunk during those times in ministry because I thought, what does that say about me? What have we got wrong here. But at other times, I've heard things like, I'd go on mission trips. I love to go on mission trips. I would serve at the rescue mission. I would help the homeless. I love the times I get to do it, but I don't get to do it enough. I would give outrageously. I would try to outgive God. Pastor Rob, you say you can't possibly outgive God, but I haven't even tried, to be honest with you. I, I would try. I want to see some of these miraculous things happen. When you hear answers like that, you know that the heart's connected with the mission. Here's some good news. The men that God has called and the women, the people that are leading and serving at Impact, those are the kind of answers I hear now. 
So we're on the right track. I mean, God can take a tiny little ragtag bunch of people with, who think they've got nothing to offer and change the world. I read about 12 of them all the time, sorry, 11, who the world would probably have passed by. Now, those things I mentioned before that people would give their life for, again, there's nothing sinful or evil about it. It's just that it's hard for me, and maybe it's hard for you. Can any of you really imagine that the Son of God left his, his throne room in heaven and came and wrapped human flesh and grew as a baby and went through all the aches and pains that we did and, and finally was ridiculed and mocked and, and beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross and bled out so that we could live selfishly and in total comfort? There's a disconnect there, isn't it? Kind of, sort of. But to say that he would go through all that pain so that maybe there's a bigger mission is more logical. It's easy to make that connection. The other one's impossible to make. It doesn't make any sense. No, he gave his life and bled and died. By the way, he didn't just do that to save you. Because if he did, he'd have put you in heaven the second you were saved. Good, I need to remove them from this dangerous category. Up there, they're safe. Next. No, he leaves you here for the impact. He leaves you here for the mission. And that's where life is lived out abundantly. That is the only way that you're going to be thrilled and overflowing with joy. Believe it or not, I know it's upside down from what the world teaches, but it's the only way to close the gap, to connect where you want to be, to get from here to there. It's the only way. It's the only way. Everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Um, bow your heads and Close your eyes. Father, Lord, thank you that the gap is never too big for us to close, Lord. There's nobody that I saw today that doesn't want to make an impact with their life, that doesn't want to move from sadness to joy, that doesn't want to hear well done over depart from me, that doesn't want all of those things, Lord. Thank you that it's really simple, Lord, because you'll do the heavy lifting, God. But we do have to close the gap, Lord, from our talk to our walk. And I pray that that started today. I pray that it, that it was manifested in, in the time of giving back to you, Lord, that we have showed that we believe in this, Lord. I pray that it's manifested in really opening the word in the morning for all of us and spending time in your word, that we will hit our knees and actually pray more than just at meals, Lord. Help us to do the things we need to do to set our, our eyes and our feet on the path that leads closer to you because this will be the best year of our life if it's the best year of our lives spiritually. Make that come truth, Lord, and, and, and make a great impact through your willing vessels at this church. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week.